Boys and ghouls, welcome to episode 28 of Dads from the Crypt, a Tales from the Crypt podcast. My name is Jason. I'm joined by Jody. Hello. And we have a special guest. He is producer, director, Jonathan Barkon. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me again. I mean, I'm I'm amazed that anyone wants to suffer me uh, twice, you know, not not even once. Jeez. No, we're we're gluttons over here for pain, so bring it on <laughs> um now yeah as you, we mentioned you did an, a whole interview i can't remember it was like at least an hour and a half a uh, great time uh with us back in november so i highly encourage everyone to check that out to know everything you want to know and then some um about yourself but you are still working on your documentary so why don't you give us an update on that yeah uh so with mental health and horror we are still in the recording uh process we're doing a bunch of interviews we have a uh in indiegogo coming up or uh it may be happening depending on on when this is released but um yeah we're we're basically focusing on getting a lot more interviews done right now and then we're going to go into the outlining and scripting stages uh with you know a couple of pickup interviews here and there as necessary but you know you know, we've said this to a few people and, you know, we'll say it now. The the original anticipated release window that we had put when we first started talking about mental health and horror uh, was severely impacted by COVID, by a bunch of other restrictions. Our DP, for example, uh, you know, tested positive. So that hindered production for a little while. And then... Uh, there was a trip to London to do a bunch of interviews, and it was a fantastic trip. We got in, you know several incredible interviews, well worth you know the time and effort. But it was also a trip where I had to get tested for COVID more times in the span of about a week and a half than I had throughout the entirety of the pandemic. So it was a a very interesting kind of experience going through all that but yeah originally we were hoping to be wrapped up with all of the interviews by this time and have picture lock pretty much now so that we could get it to lawyers and everything but like i say the pandemic hit it really changed it really had a lot of effects on our timeline and our schedule and also the IATSE strike was a big part right. we wanted to show our solidarity because what the IATSE members were striking for was directly related to what this documentary is about you know people need stability they need security they need to know that they can get a decent night's rest <laughs> as as kind of a baseline for for so much and part of that is for one's own mental health and so while they were striking we we paused in solidarity so the the state of the film industry the state of the pandemic all of these had effects but yeah when it comes to mental health and horror we're trucking along we have amazing interviews with some absolutely fantastic people i'm 
incredibly honored by the people who have lent their voices. I'm so excited for the people that we have coming up. And then, like I say, we're going to enter the outlining and scripting. And that's when we really start putting it together and we really start kind of taking the the colors that each interview has given us and painting the actual picture so very exciting times ahead yeah i'm you I'm, you've been i've been following this for a while now and i'm really excited um, well, thank you thank and you. uh yeah we definitely want to get your um any uh crowdfunding um things you have we'll definitely want to share those so send that over thank you thank you so much of course um okay Tonight, we will be discussing Carrion Death, which premiered on June 15th, 1991. Jody, why don't you go and give us a plot synopsis? All right. So we start with the Crypt Keeper walking in. And I do mean walking. Like You actually see his little Crypt Keeper feet walking in. Yeah. Uh, that's that's my as a motorcycle cop. That's so my, they're so cute. I know. That's one <laughs> of my favorite things. That's one of my favorite Crypt Keeper gags, whenever they have him actually walking somewhere, however they do that. I, I, it's always been one of my... Th- anytime there's a puppet walking, like if you watch the Muppets and like Kermit's suddenly riding a bike, I'm like, oh man, he has legs. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so we get to see the Crypt Keeper's legs. He walks in as a motorcycle cop. And then we get into our story. Uh, we start with uh, Agent Dale Cooper robbing a bank, or Kyle <laughs> McLaughlin. Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Special Agent Dale special Cooper. Special Agent Dale Cooper, absolutely. Uh, but he's he's robbing a bank and shooting guards and other people as he runs away. And he gets in his car, and the radio tells us he's an escaped convict named Earl Raymond Biggs, who was in jail for murdering three women. And he's killed multiple people as he escaped. And now he is heading to Mexico and driving through the desert. And uh, while he's driving, he looks in his rear view and sees a motorcycle cop pursuing him. And the cop pulls up beside him, takes a shot at him. Uh, Diggs runs him off the road and the cop gets back on and chases him again. Then Diggs turns his car around, drives right at the cop playing chicken. The cop falls off his bike, but the bike stays upright <laughs> and just plows into the side of his car, causing we take an a- explosion. Can we take a second to appreciate how that bike kept going? It looked yes. like Kermit's legs. Yeah, it was very <laughs> awkward, but it worked. Yeah, and was he carrying? Was he carrying dynamite? That works. Was he carrying dynamite in that bike? I we we all know that torn metal and leaking gasoline is just immediately explosive. Instant. Yes, it's an explosion because <laughs> it hit the like the passenger seat, and that caused the explosion right. that destroyed the engine. But anyway, so the car blows up, the bike blows up. Both men are still alive. Well, Diggs is alive. He goes back and sees the cop laying in the ditch and presumes he's dead. And at that point, a vulture lands on Diggs' car. We will see this vulture many, many times the rest of this episode. So the cop isn't dead. He gets back up. He walks after Diggs. Uh, there's a lot of shots of like that wavy heat coming off the ground. Uh, just looks super hot and unpleasant uh the cop finally pins him down and shoots at him and then he finds a bag of the money from the bank robbery and dumps it all over the desert i don't think that's the thing you should do as a cop can we can we take a quick second to appreciate that the bag of money Mm -hmm. is literally just a sack with a giant money symbol on it it is straight out of this this is effectively an adult version of Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was that was Looney Tunes bank money for sure. 
So while Diggs is walking, he sees a sign that says two miles to a cantina. He gets excited at the prospect of senoritas and beers, he says. And uh, the cop is still following him, and he follows the vulture, and he finds that sign, too. So when Diggs gets to the cantina, it's completely abandoned. Uh, and while he's looking for something to drink, the cop catches up to him. They fight. The cop cuffs himself to Diggs, and then Diggs immediately shoots the cop. Then the cop swallows the key to that handcuff before he dies. Now, respect respect to the police officer who's like, I've got a bullet in my lung. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. time to swallow a key. And shame <laughs> on Kyle McLaughlin, on Earl Raymond Diggs, who's sitting here like, huh, this cop is seriously taking his time going, you know, you're not going anywhere. Let me slowly put the key <laughs> in my mouth, close my mouth, and then I'm going to swallow all while moaning. And this scene actually takes about this long. And now I'm going to die. And then, then, only then does Kyle McLaughlin, Earl Raymond Diggs go, no! Like, this is, <laughs> the timing here is impeccable. While he's handcuffed to him, it's not like he's on the other side of the room. He's no, like, no, he's literally attached to him. Time, he doesn't try to stop him. He just has his head down. He's like, all right, I just got to gotta wait this one out. Yeah, things will change. Uh, huh. I, I definitely need to clip my nails. Where's the key? Shit. <laughs> All right. So at this point, he's handcuffed to the dead cop. And he's trying to figure out what to do. It's extremely hot outside. I do have to say, we find out uh, from the radio and from his own words as he talks to himself that he has murdered and mutilated multiple people. He'd just go in after that key, right? Like, in reality, he'd just cut in. Or the hand, like or something. Yeah, like he, he's, he he's okay. He he's okay with mutilating bodies. Like that's his thing. Th- this is, if we stop and think about it, I'm willing to bet that this episode had a huge influence on Saw, because it's the same yeah. basic foundation as Amanda with the bear trap, and you know right. you got to get the key. It's in the stomach, and and Amanda did it. Kyle McLaughlin, a multiple murderer and mutilator, is like. Mm. I, I I need this to carry this guy. This, like this is this is my burden to bear. Like it took <laughs> it took a what was it a doctor and just a random guy, a random photographer, the same amount of time as the guy who has mutilated many people to decide to cut off an appendage. And in this case, the person's already dead. What's it matter? Right. Just chew through him. I mean, that's what's gross. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> but chew, you chew through just him. Just deglove. Do what you got to do. But okay, so what he does decide to do though is just to throw him up on his shoulders and hike through the hot, hot desert uh, for six miles to the Mexican border. There's a sign. And so he's talking to himself, reveals he killed five more women that they don't know about. He then says, you know, I didn't even mutilate them until after they were dead. So again, he's cool with mutilating dead bodies. It's kind of his whole thing. Um, but anyway, it's it's hot. He gets too tired to carry the cop anymore, so he starts kind of dragging him through a sandstorm, and he lays the cop's body on top of himself so uh, he can wait for the sandstorm to pass. And once he gets up, he sees a ridge that is the border to Mexico. And so he starts carrying the cop up this steep slope. He gets to the cop, gets to the top and looks over and he says, oh, I made it. I can't believe it. And then the cop's body just falls over and drags him halfway down the thing again. He's frustrated, he's mad, he's hot, he's tired. 
And so he decides, now, you know, I should do something about this cop that's handcuffed to me. Instead of just carrying him around, I should do something about it. And he can't really see or stand straight. The heat's getting to him. But he takes the cop's badge and he makes a makeshift axe, sharpens the end of it. He's going to chop off the cop's hand. And But because he can't see, when he swings the axe, he chops into his own wrist. There's a pretty good effect, too. There's some nice, mm. uh, nice bloody wrist chopping. Um, at that point, he screams and falls back. And when he falls back, he tumbles over the edge of a cliff and is left like dangling over the edge with only the handcuff keeping him up. That and uh, at that point, his hand just rips completely the rest of the way off, and he falls a long way down and crashes to the ground. When he wakes up, he realizes that he has broken his neck in the fall. He's completely paralyzed, and then the vulture. Because the vulture's been there the whole time. It's been following him. The vulture starts circling around. He comes down. He lands on his chest and then just plucks his eyeball right out of his face and then starts eating his entire face while he's still alive. And that's how we wrap up this episode. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Jody. Uh, Jonathan, you specifically asked to be on this episode. Um, yes. So I'll let you start off and tell us what you think. I love it. It's just, it's so absurd. This is, <laughs> this is for me, classic Tales from the Crypt. It's cheesy. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. But it doesn't skimp on the horror of the situation. It never makes fun of the horror of the situation. It makes fun of how the people are handling it. Like, yeah, uh, you know, Earl is, is an idiot. He absolutely should have just dealt with... He should have gotten the key right away. I mean, when the cop swallows the key, he falls backwards through a window that shatters. There is broken glass everywhere. <laughs> Grab a piece of glass, slice into that body and be like, okay, it's probably still in the esophagus. It hasn't even gotten down to the stomach. But you know what? I can, I can work with this. I'll find it. It'll take some time, but there we go. Done deal. And instead, he makes every single mistake in the book. Plus, this is a great episode. For the people who are um, uh, who have issues with the police system, because the police officer coming up on on Earl, who's driving his car, doesn't even turn on his his lights, mm -hmm. doesn't you know you know call, you know use a radio or something to you know say pull over or anything like that, nothing like that. Just immediately whips out his gun and starts shooting, like. <laughs> There is no, it's right. everyone is an idiot in this. The, and, and the cop finds that bag of money, as you mentioned, he's like, huh, evidence, let's get rid of it. Yeah. And a shit ton of money, goodbye. And and you've got to think like, Earl has two bags of money. In the in the comic, uh, it's $30,000 total, which is not a huge amount of money. I'm, it, it, it's not a small amount by any stretch of the imagination, but... I'm willing to bet that even in this episode, which aired, we said, what, 91, uh, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it probably was a little more. Like, those are probably, you know, hundreds, and then there, if there's 10 chiefs in each one, so it's about $200,000. Hopefully, it's something like that, because otherwise, otherwise, Kyle McLaughlin should have been like, you know what, let's, let, let's go, this is too hot. Just mm -hmm. put me back in, put me back in jail, you all have air conditioning, this is great. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's absurd, but, but the horror of the situation of being shackled to someone in the middle of a hot desert while these creatures are just waiting for you to die so they can eat you 
that's gruesome and yeah. it's terrifying. So there is that there is that wonderful blend of schlock and seriousness that Tales from the Crypt had that magic formula about. Mm-hmm. Plus, I I love Kyle MacLachlan. Like I I will watch him in anything. I grew up with you know Tales from the uh, with Twin Peaks. Sorry, I grew up with Twin Peaks. I you know loved Blue Velvet. I was a big fan of Dune. Uh, you know I I even at one point suffered through and, and I'm sorry to say this. I'm 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 gonna stand by that word. I suffered through all of Sex in the City. Like there's so many different things that I've seen Kyle McLaughlin in where I was like, I just love watching this guy. He's so charming. Yeah. So. So I've so I've got that. Um, yeah, it, it's just it's a fun episode. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Great fun episode. And look, look at Kyle McLaughlin's resume. He has an amazing resume. I think I don't think he gets enough credit for. Um, have you seen The Hidden? I I don't think I've seen The okay. Hidden. No, it's it's actually a really good movie. It's I'm blanking on the name, mm-hmm. but it's the guy who did. Um, Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Wait, no. Yeah. The guy so, who did Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Well, sci-fi horror film by uh, Jack Shoulder. Jack oh, Shoulder. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Nightmare 2. It's, it's basically body. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Jason Goes to Hell where there's a body swapping entity just rampaging through LA. And Kyle McLaughlin yes. is a special agent on trying to track it down. No, I won't say any more. Yeah. But it's actually go check it out. It's a really fun movie. Um, yeah, that that works for me. That's what yeah. I need. Yeah. So, and <laughs> I will admit, definitely watching plenty of Sex in the City with girlfriends at the time, and um, mm-hmm. Desperate Housewives. How I Met Your Mother. He was the captain. He was the mayor of Portland and Portlandia. And this is this I'm really interested to see. He's going to play Howard Baskin in the Joe Exotic TV series. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But what is interesting is that he usually plays a somewhat subdued character, someone who's kind of got together or just kind of ponderous. Here, he's just chewing scenery left and right. It's the most over-the-top performance I've seen him give. And he he leans into it. You can tell he's having so much fun with this role. Right. And that's talking about a guy who is in Showgirls. <laughs> he's more yeah. over the top in this than he is in Showgirls. And that's that's really saying something. I think I think it absolutely helps that it is uh written and directed by Stephen E. D'Souza, who did the and I, I'm I'm genuine when I say this, the incredible uh 1994 it was 94 street fighter or so, yeah. yeah 95 yeah i love the street fighter adaptation it's not good but holy <laughs> hell is it one of the most entertaining movies i've seen i love every second of it you but did that is, a monologue but that's from really- street fighter on last time you were here and then i <laughs> yeah, saw that this is the same writer again Oh, do it please <laughs> no no, no. <laughs> um, let's let's give people a reason to check another episode did no, you did you know that when you chose this episode did you put that i th- I, I i had it in the back of my mind but it was only when i revisited it, i was like oh yeah now i know the pieces are falling <laughs> yeah so but, Desoza... that was, that's the thing you know DeSouza. he when when he directs at least you know Street Fighter and here Carrion Death. It's he loves when things go over the top. Mm-hmm. He loves when it's schlocky and ridiculous. Um, 
And so, and I mean, the guy wrote Judge Dredd. Right. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Like, come on. So it's, I think Kyle and I'm willing to bet that Kyle and Steven just had this, you know, when they were talking about the character and the performance and everything, Steven was like, do you want to go like just completely over the top? And Kyle was like, I would love to do that. And Steven was like, Steven, yes, so would I. Just go for it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious how much ad libbing because he's like yelling at the vulture. He's yelling at the dead body as if they're like, as if as if it's like a like Shakespearean like. There's these like this Greek chorus around him of <laughs> of, of dead people who can't really talk to him back to him. So he's got the body. He's like saying, "Oh, could you could you move it along, please?" And he's like, "The the vulture, please come on, go call someone for help." It's like, <laughs> um, so yeah. DeSosa also wrote Die Hard, Forty Eight Hours, the Flintstones movie, and Beverly Hills Cop Three, and of course Judge Dredd, which is a movie and and Commando. Oh, Commando! Command- I missed whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Judge, Judge Dredd <laughs> is not just a movie. Judge Dredd is a time capsule of perfection. I've always been okay. a demolition man myself, but okay. Also a phenomenal film. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I, I can love both. Yeah. There's, there's <laughs> yeah, room in my heart for both. But like, you know, you think about his writing for films and there is a bit of a cheesiness and schlockiness. Mm-hmm. Like, was it Commando where, uh, was that the one where the guy was about to shoot Arnold and he was like, fuck you asshole. And he pulls the trigger and it doesn't fire. And Arnold's like, fuck you asshole or when he has a guy upside down by the leg and it's like wait wait, wait you said you'd kill me last i lied yeah he drops it like yeah it's- no this is the guy who wrote yippee Kaye, motherfucker yes 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 so <laughs> everything like die hard is is a masterpiece it really is but some of the lines in there a little cheesy and i'm okay saying that because i fucking love yeah. die hard hans yeah. booby <laughs> I love that line. Oh, too good. Um, Jody, yeah, no, give this, us your thoughts. Is, yeah, this is definitely somebody who understood what he was doing, but both the director and our lead actor here. Because uh, we've said over and over, like the, the episodes that don't work are when one of the two, there's a disconnect with the material and they either play it too straight mm-hmm. or they try to. Uh, I, I just they, they just don't get what tells from the crypt is supposed to be. These guys get it. They they get the cheesiness that's supposed to be there. But also, as far as you know, the episodes that we've watched, this is a kind of nasty one too, with the whole yeah. dead body and the violence, and then the the ending with all the gore. Like it's a lot nastier than some of the ones. So it's that mix of kind of a mm-hmm. grim horror and the cheesiness together, and and everybody kind of playing against type overacting chewing the scenery and i i just think every part of this works yeah because of all those elements coming together yeah and shout out to george del hoyo plays the police officer i don't know how much of that is a dummy or if he's actually like they have a stunt guy doing uh connected to him um he's had an interesting career he was in beverly hills 9210 he's a rango he's a lot of little tv but he was orpheus on days of our lives for like 20 years (laughs) it was just a fun name to say just if you get the chance to say a fun name, you've got to take Orpheus. It. Come on, <laughs> um, Jody. Why don't you try saying it? Give it a shot. There See go. how it feels on the right. tongue. Um, yeah, there's some great, nice, nice, nice. great shout out to the vulture acting. <laughs> Whoever those yeah. ha- handlers are, that that thing like hit its spots, did its little squeak. 
if if you want to turn this episode into a drinking game, just whenever the vulture appears menacing, then take a sip. Yeah. And you, you'll probably finish a beer. But hey, you know, that's for a 30 minute episode. Not too shabby. Mm-hmm. I, I rewatched the final scene more than once so I could kind of see how they pulled this off with the vulture and the human and the eye plucking. And, you know, I could tell moments, especially now that there are some 4K scans floating around in the world. But you yeah. can tell, like, a puppet vulture pulled the eye out. But then at the end, like, I, I have a feeling they just had, like, a meathead there right. replacing Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. And that vulture just went to town on the meathead. And he's slamming it into the rock and everything. It was, it, I, especially if, if I couldn't see it as well, like, if it was on an old CRT TV from 1990, mm-hmm. that would have been a really nasty scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's gross. Yeah, his yeah. hand is cut off. His leg is, like, bent backwards. Yeah. Like, his, like, like, neck is, like, neck distended. Neck, yeah. It's like descending out from at the wrong angle. It's yeah. great. Like for as for as again, scenery chewing magnificence as Kyle is giving in that moment, the I the, the prospect of it, the very idea of mm-hmm. being in that situation, genuinely absolutely horrifying of being completely helpless and seeing that creature come up and being like, Well, this is it. It's time to feel horrific amounts of pain. Right. And I can do nothing about it. Right. And then, and then, yeah, that just, it's like kind of the Jaws thing where it's like that this is actually a real scenario that could theoretically happen of like, yep. you know, creature, creature gone wrong, gone mad. What's the word I'm thinking of? The, um, you know, nature attacks kind of movies mm-hmm. where like this oh, is not a monster. Uh, this yeah. isn't the ghost. This is an actual creature. Like anyone could fall while, while hiking or something. You, you Man can always versus fall nature, off. that kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, there's definitely a piece that goes into that. Did you guys recognize those rocks in the finale? Oh yeah, yeah. Who, that's that's the Vasquez rocks. <laughs> so that's like in all tons of Star Wars movies and film and uh, TV shows. Flintstones again, Blazing Saddles, Bill and Ted's Bogus Adventure, Galaxy Quest, which is a really funny meta moment. Jonathan, in your travels, have you been to Vasquez Rocks? I have not. I would oh. love to go next time. Yeah, next time you come to LA, I'm taking you. Yes, well, let's, let's do it. We'll get handcuffs and we'll recreate the scene. Uh, who's going to be the, <laughs> the dead cop? We can take turns. I think that there's only <laughs> one turn to be taken. <laughs> no, I was actually, I was there just like six months ago. We went and it's tons of people everywhere. It's like a huge like family thing. There's like a whole like camping area near there. There's tons of hiking mm-hmm. trails. And it's really cool, but yeah, you could easily slip and fall and like crack your neck anywhere there. My like seven year old who likes to like perch on things, he tried to go like to the very tip of the rock. And I was like, I had a moment of like, oh no, come back a little bit. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really terrifying. How, how far away from LA is it? It's like 40, 40 minutes. It's not nothing at all. Oh, that's, that's nothing. I mean, in LA, it's which part of LA are you? South LA? It's True. like, it's kind of north, True. it's north of LA. So if okay. you're already north, that knocks off like half an hour. Um, half an hour. If you're in South LA, it's like three days. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, no, it's really cool. And what's funny is from where that climatic scene takes place, if you go like five more yards backward, like away to the right, that's where the parking lot is. <laughs> of course. Yeah, of so course. that's totally Hollywood where like the angle makes it look dramatic. Right. But if you turn just a little bit, that's just the parking lot. <laughs> It's it's like all those shots of the uh, of the pyramids 
mm-hmm. in Egypt. You're like, wow, this is majestic in the middle of nowhere. And then you turn and it's like it's an entire metropolis. It's the entire city is like a hundred yards from from the pyramids. Yeah. What what you couldn't see is just out of frame as the buzzard was attacking his face. There was a family having a picnic there. Was, yeah, no, there's a picnic. Even more just, it's it's kind of crazy. <laughs> Yeah, the 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 price for I don't know if you have I don't know if it's one of those uh, parks where you have to pay a bit of an admission. But if they did, no. then no, okay, then never mind. Uh, I was gonna say you know, ticket covers a whole seat, but they only needed the edge. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm wondering if there's like they have special days where they close it off to the public for filming, or how they like how they clear everyone out because there's like people. Oh, everywhere. Yeah, w- w- with situations like that, when you get the permit, then they have. Uh, there's probably the wardens or the or the people who are in charge of the, the the park commissioners or things like that. They probably have like tape and everything set mm-hmm. up to say like no entry. You know this is closed for a while and 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 then they can the film crew can do whatever they need to do. But yeah, it's once you get the permits, it's a relatively easy process. Yeah, but the, it's really cool that they it, it definitely gives a big epic scope. To mm-hmm. um to that scene and just you know a little nudge nudge wink wink again this is the same guy who did also did the Flintstones movie so which I'm assuming was afterwards but you know it's kind of an homage to old Hollywood I think it had to have been after wait this was ninety one so I think Flintstones was like ninety five ninety six that's what I'm thinking too because D'Souza only did when did he direct uh the Flintstones. He didn't direct it. He wrote, no, he just wrote it. it. Okay, he wrote that it. changes things. But yeah. he probably maybe so, like in the notes, he like you know, see Vasquez rocks or you know, yeah. Flintstones. Funny enough, Flintstones was actually uh, the same year as Street Fighter and Beverly Hills Cop Three ninety four. Damn, it's a big year. Actually, I was looking at his IMDb. And he said there's a quote from him that says he was doing so many productions that if he died, no one would realize it for two years because he had so many credits. <laughs> Um, a little morbid, but apparently he's one of the few writers who uh, I saw this online when I was Googling him. Apparently he's one of the few writers whose films have grossed, uh, more than $2 billion worldwide. So clearly, clearly the guy has a, you know, a magic touch when it comes to writing a screenplay. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, oh. he, he's still alive, at least according to IMDb. So um looks like he's probably retired because I couldn't find any more like current information. Yeah. Well, we were talking well, about how uh, how gnarly the special effects were. I just looked up who did the effects for this episode. There's a guy named Thomas Bellissimo. And he's done like 26 episodes of Tales from the Crypt in, mm-hmm. in one capacity or another. But he was the special effects coordinator for Saw. Oh. So we were saying there's a Saw connection. There you he go. did the effects. There we go. It's all Found it. So the mask from Dust Till Dawn. Like you got some cool credits. That's cool. I love it. Yeah. I I I think I'm onto something here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Jody, let's compare this to the original comic. Okay. So the comic has a lot of similarities as far as the basic story, but it does have its own kind of path that it takes. Uh this is Shock Suspense Stories number nine. Uh, that's the June, July issue from 1953. And we've brought up shock suspense stories before. That's kind of uh, EC Comics more gritty, realistic stories. It's not ghosts and zombies most of the time. It's criminals and murders. And so that falls right into this category. 
Uh, in the comic, there's no names for any of the characters. It's just a guy and a cop. Uh, the main guy's just a bank robber, not a murderer. Uh, he wrecks his own car, and while he's out, uh, the, the cop cuffs him, and uh, he well, wakes up and he strangles the cop. But while right before he strangles the cop, the cop is radioing in uh, for backup and saying, hey, while you're coming, bring the master cuff key. I don't have mine with me. And so that's how we end up without the key. We don't have the whole swallowing scene. So other cops are on the way. He starts to run. Uh, this guy, though, immediately starts thinking, like, I need to get a knife. I need to get something. And he starts cutting. But uh, the cop took his knife out of his pocket. And he can't go back to where he was because other cops are on the way. So he does the sharpen the badge thing. And he cuts himself with it to make sure it's sharp enough. Uh, but gets squeamish. And he uh, kind of has a little moment and drops the badge. It falls down a crack. So anyway, he passes out from the heat. And this is where it kind of takes its own turn. And uh, it actually gets pretty gnarly here uh, he passes out from the heat and when he wakes up he sees that the buzzards in the area have been feeding on the cop's body that he's got attached to him and uh so he's, he's horrified by this and he's, he's still trying to carry the body he knows he'll die if he doesn't get free and so he thinks well to get free i could just let the buzzards eat him and if they eat him because he's dead they won't eat me but they'll eat him if they eat him, then I can get free from it. And so he lays down on the ground and closes his eyes and plays dead so that the buzzards will come back. When he opens his eyes, he looks over and sees that they've stripped this body beside him down to the bone. But then he realizes he can't feel anything, but they've also been feeding on him. They've been eating his rib cage, his stomach, all of that's gone. And then as one of them goes to pluck out his eye, he realizes that they've been eating on him this whole time because he's dead too, but he can still feel and respond to what's happening. He just can't move. He just has to like witness his own eating after death. So that's kind of a, you know, nasty turn at the end. It's, it adds a supernatural element to the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, watching or seeing the, the illustrations there, this had some great illustrations of uh, some, eating dead bodies and yeah. uh the the art by reed crandall is yeah. mm -hmm. is it's gruesome and it's it's really harrowing like because you you see the, the the this guy as from the beginning he looks fine he looks normal he's whatever but as the days elapse mm -hmm. he gets more and more gaunt and he and his the hair you know his his facial hair because he's losing liquid his skin is kind of getting tight so it looks longer than it normally should mm -hmm. like all these little details that reed crandall captured that just make it really unsettling yeah the tales from the crypt artists were always great about mm -hmm being able to draw someone just at the edge <laughs> and that's where he's yeah. at through this entire thing this sunken under his eyes and these you you can tell before he gets to the point that he's literally being eaten that he's about driven insane by that point anyway and it's great it's it's fantastic yeah the artwork in this is really spectacular and the, i feel like there's almost like a more volume in this than we've seen in the other tales of the crypt or vault of horror i feel like they kind mm -hmm. of save it a little bit for like the end splash page for this one, I feel like there's a lot more throughout the story. So I don't know if that's just, they're just skirting the code a little bit closer in shock and suspense stories. Um, yeah, no, shock suspense stories tends to be where they would really kind of put out their nastiest stuff. 
it's mm-hmm. the one that tended to get them in the most trouble during all of those uh, trials in the 50s. Uh, because um, there, Shock Suspense Stories is the one where they would show a uh, a woman's body laying on the floor and a hand holding her head up. Right. And uh, when they were questioned about that one, like, you know, could this be, you know, how can you justify this? The the artist was like, well, we didn't show the stump. Uh, but, you know, that that's where they did. They pushed it right to the line, especially with this mm-hmm. particular um, edition. The, the things we choose to care about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you know? Do you remember which other Tales from the Crypt episodes are based on Shock Suspense? Off the top of your head? Uh, not off the top of my head. I know there have been some other ones. Okay. I can look real quick. That's fine. Um, so yeah, Jonathan, closing thoughts. Um, I think it's, I think it's one of those fascinating episodes where they where they definitely were faithful to an extent Mm -hmm. to the source material they didn't lose the horror of the source material but they also took it in their own direction and gave it that entertainment value and that schlocky cheesiness um that tales from the crypt is 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 known for so it's this really great way of saying okay how can you take a relatively short story because it was what like eight pages right mm-hmm. something like that it wasn't that long and the story in in those eight pages was over four days but not a lot happened in those four days like there were a few major events and that's really about it and they were like okay we can't adapt this because that would be a short film that's all it would be like we would maybe get 10 minutes we need to double that how do we do that uh let's have a little bit of fun. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, flesh, let's, you know, pardon the pun, flesh it out a little bit, you know, give the audience a little bit, something more to chew on. And, and they did it. And it's, if, if you want the, the true horror, then read the shock suspense story. Cause it really is deeply unsettling. Mm-hmm. And if you want something that you can kind of giggle at, then watch Carrie and death. It's you're, you're going to get something from each one of them. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a show where someone says, Oh, I'm going to go to Mexico because there's no lawyers or judges there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so absurd. I love it. Earl Raymond Diggs was not cursed with intelligence. Let's say that, but he had great hair, great hair. Comic Lachlan always has great hair. Now the one, my one dig on Kyle McLaughlin is he went to the university of Washington and as in the uh, university of Oregon grad, it's just, Rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> I, I I have the same mentality when everyone someone says, "Oh yeah, I'm a Buckeye." I'm like, "Ooh, mm-hmm. no, no, no." <laughs> we we do not need to be acquaintances at this point. <laughs> so I looked up uh, which other episodes that we've seen have been based on shock suspense stories. Stories, uh, Dead Right. So okay. That's the one where Demi Moore marries the big guy. Um, Three's a crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, the sacrifice. Okay, that tracks. For crying out loud, which is really funny because yeah. it's such a silly version in the the show, but uh, it's actually a pretty nasty comment. Four sided triangle with the uh, thing with the scarecrow. Oh, it's interesting. And my brother the square. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm fun at parties, yeah. I assure you. <laughs> well, it'd be interesting if there was... If this was, if, if Tales from the Crypt ever was streaming, you know, if you could really have fun with it, where it could like, okay, this is the shock suspense um, mm-hmm. playlist, and here's the uh, Vault of Horror playlist. So you could like separate them out by source and kind of compare. I mean, what I would love to see is a streaming service take Tales from the Crypt and at the same time get the rights to the comics and have a mm-hmm. thing where you can read the comic mm-hmm. or like they have an they have a way of like an interactive version of the comic. Uh, and then you can watch the episode so you can get both experiences to yeah. understand what was the foundation and what it became. Yeah. That's so I know, like I've seen the bunch of these, especially with like the Watchmen movie, they did like a motion picture where it's like, it's panels from yeah. the Watchmen comic where they kind of animated them to life. And then they had like voice actors. I think I don't know if it's from the movie actors or they got other actors to come in. So it's like you're watching an animated version of the comic. That'd be really cool to do with these. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Unfortunately, the way things are with those rights, <laughs> we can't even get the originals out. So I don't think we'll see anything new for a while. It is a nightmare. Um, all right. Uh, do we have any other final thoughts, Jody? Before we do our ranking? I don't think so. I just think this is a, a great episode. Mm-hmm. One, one of the best ones I think we've seen. Okay. Well, let's do our ranking then. Uh, Jonathan, what do you give this one? Why why, why me first? You're throwing me to the wolves every step of the way here. You know what? No, I'm passing the buck. Let's see how you guys rank it All so right. I can fit in. Let's do that. All right, Jody. <laughs> All right. I'm giving this one a five. Like This is top tier for me by far. All right. Um, this is a tough one, especially after last week's, which was really a big dud. Um, yeah. I'm giving a five for Colin McLaughlin's hair and that vulture acting just really pushes it over <laughs> the edge. You know, I was going to give it a four and a half, but when you brought up the vulture acting, it's, it's, it's Oscar worthy material. Let's, yeah. let's just do fives all around. Yeah. It's unanimous. We've only had a few like that. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I have to look at which ones those were, but very few. Those are like the very first ones. Mm-hmm. All righty, you, well, let's... You've got to tag. You've got to tag Kyle McLaughlin when you put this out. Fives across the board. It's just top tier uh, Tales from the Crypt. Top, the, the one time Kyle McLaughlin got showed up by a vulture. <laughs> All I mean, right. Jason, Jason's tags lately on social media have Corey Feldman liking our posts. So I mean, yeah. we're already we're 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 winning. There you go. I got, ti- I got my tiger's blood. <laughs> um. All right. That brings us to song of the day. Jonathan, you're filling in from Mondo, who's out of town. Uh, why don't you hit us? So there was an album that came out on January seventh uh, from Century Media Records. Uh, the band is called, I think it's called Wilderun. I think that's how you pronounce it. Wilderun. I'm not sure. The album is called Epigon. And it's it's a brilliant, brilliant progressive metal album. Um, you know, it has folk. It has symphonic aspects. It, it It's, you know, really, you know, kind of the death growls at points. Beautiful, clean singing. There's, you know, a female vocalist that comes in on a few tracks. It's a journey of an album. Absolutely incredible. And if you get the bonus edition, 
they have this really incredible cover of Radiohead's Everything in Its Right Place. Hmm. So that's going to be my song that, that I recommend. Uh, Everything in Its Right Place, the cover by Wilderun. Um, if you like the original, this one takes it and kicks up the distortion, but doesn't lose that kind of mysterious beauty that I guess you could say about it. It's it's really just a magnificent cover. Okay. And Epigon is a new one I'm looking up on Spotify right now. Yeah, that's the album. Okay. And so the band uh, Wilderun, Wilderun, W-I-L-D-E-R-U-N. Mm-hmm. And Epigon, E-P-I-G-O-N-E. Came out, like I said, uh, beginning of this year, like one of the first releases of this year. Cool. And, I'll, and, and I know that it's, that we're still in, in January, but it is potential album of the year contender material. Awesome. What was your album of the year last year? Oh shit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Asking the music guy too much. Okay. You can get, you can Uh, ping me. No, it's, it's a, it's a great question. I'm trying to think while you think albums that came out last year. Well, you think I will say that uh, I was listening to frost the other day. Yeah. Um, So good. So good. I love it. Oh, it's so much fun. Which uh, which album were you listening to? Um, it was on random. So I we we rescued the dog this weekend, and uh, my wife Amazing. took the kids in their car, and I was driving, and I wanted something kind of kind of chill, a little bit chill, but kind of upbeat, just the kind of bonding time with the dog while I was driving like throughout yeah. all these freeways, and the dog was like figuring everything out. So it just kind of came yeah. up randomly. I'm like, okay, this is upbeat and fun, and just kind of gets me going a little bit. Nice. Yeah. For uh, We were talking about Frost, I remember, in the last episode, and uh, one of the songs that I strongly recommend, uh, Blacklight Machine. Yes, when you look at that, when you first load up the song and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to check it out. What? It's like 12 minutes. I think it's something like it's at least 10 minutes long. And you're like, this is this is absurd. There's no way I'm listening to it. I promise you. It's one of those songs where it's constantly moving into a new section it's moving into something new and different so while it may be 10 to 12 minutes long it feels like three or four songs all in one and there's a section of it and i promise you when you hear it you'll know it but there's a section that sounds like it's directly ripped from the soundtrack of sonic the hedgehog 2 mm-hmm. yeah i, like, I, I listened chemical- to it after that <laughs> i heard it yep there's there's a you know chemical plant zone that kind of a thing mm-hmm. you're listening to it and i remember every time i tell someone about that and i'm playing the song they're like is this the part and i'm like nope it's not you're gonna know it and they're like but it's gotta be this part like it has to be this and i'm like no 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 no. just wait and then it hits and they're like yep i should have waited there it is <laughs> yeah it was hyperventilate i think was the song that we listened to oh Lisa that's Stark. an amazing song yeah, yeah. It was really good great song okay Let's move on to trivia of the day, uh, Jody. All right. So uh, we have bird trivia today since uh, the vulture is our animal of the day. Um, <laughs> let's actor. just add animal of the day into our into our mix every week. Uh, no. Uh, so here's a little thing about vultures. Uh, it's actually a myth that uh, vultures circle around dying animals waiting to feed. So this whole stalking thing that happened in this, not realistic. Uh, these birds are actual, they're powerful flyers, and they soar around on columns of rising thermal air while they look for food. And so when they're circling, really what's happening is they're getting down lower, then they hit one of those pockets of warm air, 
and it brings it back up. And it's just kind of the cycle that they go into. And so they, they circle around looking for things. And then they have this excellent sense of sight and smell that they can locate a dead animal from a mile or more away. And so the, the whole thing about them circling, waiting for something to die, they don't bother with that. They just wait and mm. look around and smell the air until they find something already dead. So, so they're it, the sharks of the sky. Yeah, mm. no. And they would definitely have eventually eaten this guy. Like the, he mm. would have gotten eaten, but he would have been dead first. Although I guess okay. with the uh, the dead cop attached to him for a couple of days, he was probably starting to smell. So maybe they were going after him, but uh, they wouldn't have gone for uh, Cal McLaughlin yet. They would have waited, given him his own time to die at, in the sun. I don't know if that's better. I don't think it is. Eaten by vultures or baked in the sun as you die. Either one sounds awful. You yeah. know what is really funny? I just realized why didn't he like take off the cop's jacket or his helmet or like you know do anything his boots anything to make him lighter? Lighten him. Light up, light uh, up his load. He makes bad decisions. Yeah. So everything but the shirt and jacket could have come off, but the shirt and jacket couldn't have because you have to take it off the arm and the handcuff right. was in the way. But yeah, still. But like, but the pants, the probably you know, I apologize for my language here. But he probably didn't do that because he wasn't interested in having a dead guy's wang resting on his earlobe. Still, the helmet had to have been annoying and heavy. Yeah, yeah, that definitely would have added a few pounds. Well, I mean, even if he didn't think to use those shards of glass to cut off the hand, he could have at least cut off like the big heavy jacket or something. He just needs to make some more effort at the beginning. It's to work smarter, not harder. That's what we're (laughs) talking about here. Like, (laughs) yep. Put in some more effort at the beginning. You have a better day overall. All right. And that takes us to our trivia, our trivia advice section. And today, Jonathan has agreed to give us concert trivia. Advice. 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 God. <laughs> End of day. I'm losing so, it. So, yeah, I am, uh, as as people have probably guessed from my musical tastes, I'm a, I'm a metalhead. I love going to uh, metal shows. Uh, to all of our young listeners out there right now who are venturing into the world of Tales from the Crypt for the first time, and you're also going to a ton of concerts, the number one thing that I'm going to recommend, earplugs. For the love of God, start early and keep using them. I promise you. One, you're going to protect your hearing, which is the most important thing of all. But two, surprisingly, the concert will sound better you will actually hear things more clearly. The The levels will even out a little bit. It'll just be a nicer experience in that regard. Plus, when you need to talk to someone, rather than screaming in their ear and, and it hurting, you just have to like raise your voice a little bit, but it's gonna be significantly easier to hear the person next to you. So by God, just keep, just go to your local CVS or Walgreens or whatever. They have those containers that have like a hundred uh, earplugs in them for seven ninety nine or something like that. Buy that, put that in your car. Whenever you go to something that's going to be loud or intense or whatever, just grab a few pair, wear them. If you need to swap them out, go right ahead. Number one piece of advice: If anyone says that's not cool or whatever, then don't listen to them. That's just the dumbest shit imaginable. Oh, it's not cool to wear earplugs when you're, you know, your ears are getting damaged. Shut up. 
just shut up. I'm going to put them on and enjoy every bit of this significantly more. That's number one. Two, for those of you who are afraid of the mosh pit, I want to let you know right now, it's actually one of the safest, most considerate places on the planet. Yes, everyone is like thrashing about and pushing into each other, but the moment you fall or if you take a genuine hit and you're affected, everyone will stop and they will circle you and they will check to make sure that you're okay. They're going to, and if you're not okay, they will guide you to the edge of the mosh pit and make sure you get out. And if someone collapses, people are like, get water, get help, fan them a little bit. Like the mosh pit, yeah, it's a raucous place, but it's also an incredibly considerate one. So don't worry, test it out. Yeah, you're gonna get pushed. You might get a little bruised because everyone's bumping into each other, but you're not in any genuine, uh, purposeful danger. Anything that happens to you is probably going to be accidental and people will feel like shit and want to make sure you're taken care of. Now, are you saying you should get into the pit and love someone? I mean, if you find love, there are stranger places to find it than the mosh pit. <laughs> That's a Kid Rock reference for all you kids. Uh, God, did you see the latest Kid Rock video? No, it's I know. bad. I can't. It's real bad. I can't. Of, uh, a, fr- a friend of mine, a friend of mine who like delights in cringy material, he was like, "You need to see this. It is a train wreck from the very opening to the very end." And I was like, it, "There's no way it can be that bad. Like, I know that it's going to be bad, but it can't be that bad." I was proven wrong. It is mm. awful. Yeah, I I heard about it the first time because it was going around Twitter that Weird Al had directed it because people thought this has to be a parody. No, it's not. Wait, this was Weird, the real thing. Weird Al directed a Kid Rock music video. Uh, that's that's twi- Twitter just couldn't believe it was real. And after watching it, I understand why. Yeah, yeah it, bad. Kid Rock literally rides a rocket into space while like holding up his middle fingers. Oh, yeah. And there's a guy that they put front and center who plays a lick on a on a either a bass or a guitar. I can't even remember because we watched it once and I tried to shove it out of my mind. But he plays this <laughs> lick and he's supposed to look badass. And he says something after he plays that little lick. The lick is basic. It's boring. It's uninspired. It's just it's and it's not engineered well. Like it doesn't sound good. And then he says something. And again, it's one of those things where you you can tell they were like, yeah, fucking stick it to the man. Make those libs cry those tears. Fucking woke pussies. And so that, but the way he says it, you're like, oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> okay. We're just going to like step away. It's it's too easy to punch down. Mm. Let's not engage in that. <laughs> I Okay, <laughs> now that we've got that out of our system. I do have a fun mosh pit story I think you'll like. Um, tell a, me, tell me. I think it was 98. I was in high school. I went to a Metallica concert with a group of my like football buddies. Yeah, it was that, the RAR. And the concert's literally about to start, and there's a group of girls right in front of us. And we're, you know, we're like down at the bottom. Have you ever been to the Gorge um, Amphitheater in Washington? Oh, beautiful. Check it out, check out no. on Google. But anyways, mm-hmm. it's all open uh, seating, and we're just like in the very front, as much front as we could. There's some girls in front of us, like, hey, you want to get on our shoulders? We're a big, burly football guy, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, sure. So they do that. And then this, the the concert starts, and I'm like, oh, no. 
I'm in the middle of a mosh pit with a human on my shoulders. I'm a, I'm like well over six feet because I'm a tall guy. And I'm just getting the shit kicked out of me oh. with all this extra weight. And it was like, I was exhausted by the first the end of the first song. I'm like, I'm sorry. I have to put you down. That was lovely, but I, I can't. Do you remember the, what the first song was? I want to say it's like Bread Fan or something like that. I, I can look Ooh, it up. Nice. But that, it was, you know, they always, start, they always start heavy like that. So it was really can painful. I, can I connect our last two threads mm-hmm. into one story? A very quick one. Uh, one of my very first, like, one of the very first concert that I went to uh, that I wanted to go to where like I, you know, sat with my parents and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to go to this one. It was a Metallica concert and it was Metallica uh, at the Pontiac Silverdome mm. on New Year's Eve of 1999. That's it was the millennium wow. show in Detroit. And I said, I was going to connect it to our, to another thread. The, uh, the opening acts, it was uh, Kid Rock <laughs> with Joe C. Okay. Uh, no, it was it was Seven Dust, then Kid Rock and mm-hmm. Joe C., then Ted Nugent, oh who God. came out on stage oh riding a buffalo, and then and then Metallica, and uh, you know they were and Metallica was playing, and then. They stopped so there could be New Year's and there was and they were drinking champagne on stage and, you know, streamers were going and it was it was a whole to do. Everyone was cheering and celebrating. Uh, And then the entire crew of people, like all all bands came out on stage and they did a cover of Kisses Detroit Rock City. Oh, nice. And Uh it was awesome. That's cool. I just looked at the set list and it was actually Bridge Fan. So nailed it. Nailed it from 1998. So, awesome! That's, that's a great opening song. Um, okay, do you have any? Do you have, what else you got for concert trivia? What about getting tickets? Where to sit? Advice, concert advice. What is with you? Concert, I know. Okay, <laughs> it's late. I know it's late for you guys, but it's yeah, been a long yeah. day. Just, it's a Monday. Just, just a just a, li- just a little late over here. <laughs> it's already a Tuesday for me. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's about to switch over um, here. I'm in Tennessee, so yeah, Jason, it's early for him. I know. Uh, okay. Okay. Another piece of advice. I'm going to give you probably the, the smart advice. And this is for the people who are willing to, uh, how should I put this to be smart rather than to get rather than to squeeze every penny out of their ticket price. Strong recommendation. The closing act, uh, the, you know, the, the last band will almost always have an encore recommendation. Unless that encore is a song you've been waiting for the entire night, mm-hmm. the moment they leave and you know they're going to come back, leave, get out of there, yeah, go to your car and drive because the line to get out of the mm-hmm. parking lot, no matter what show you're at, is going to be so much longer when everyone is leaving at the same time. Whereas if you leave a f- couple of songs early, the traffic is n- almost non-existent. You'll get out of there so much faster. It's a difference of I'm not joking here. Hours. So that's my three pieces of advice. Always it. have earplugs. You will you will enjoy the concert so much more if you have earplugs. Uh, the mosh pit, you're you're gonna be fine. Take the risk. Enjoy the experience. Get out. If you never want to do it again, then at least you'll have done it. But if you enjoy it, hey, 
you just found a new experience that makes concerts that much more exciting and enjoyable. And three, bounce a couple of songs earlier. You will your your car's gas tank will love you. <laughs> Waking up in the morning the next day, that'll thank you. And the frustration of sitting in traffic where everyone is beeping it so that people will move forward like two inches. You don't have to suffer that nonsense. Just yeah, get out of there. That's a really good idea. Um, and you can go to like tons of websites that will po- that people post the set list from the previous night. So you can kind of track to have an idea of are they rotating their encore What or do they have a standard encore. Um, especially yeah. like if they do <clears throat> multiple nights in the same city. So yeah, especially now you can definitely tell what the what the set list is going to be for the most part. So yeah, that's yep. really cool. All right, well that brings us to the end of our episode. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on. This is a blast as always. Can you tell thank people you. where they can follow you and uh, follow the doc? Yeah, so I mean, me, I I have a couple of social media platforms but to be honest the only one that i really actively use is twitter and it's just my name at jonathan barkan um if you want to follow the uh you know the documentary the best place you can go to is mentalhealthhorrordoc.com we have links to all of our social media platforms um and then you can follow us on twitter facebook instagram youtube you know all of that you can sign up for our newsletter and you know and that's the best place to keep an eye on what all we're doing. And we really hope that people will check it out. We're trying to do this documentary with sincerity, with honesty, with a genuine interest in doing it right. So, um, you know, any any questions or suggestions or concerns or anything like that, just, you know, shoot me a message on, on Twitter. You can, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm happy to answer it. We want to make sure that people know that we're doing this because of because we we wanted to help people mm-hmm. you know? yes. yeah i cannot wait for this so yeah, be i'm really excited thank for you it. thank um, you thank you both and again anything we can do to help support or get the word out let us know thank you okay well next week we will be reviewing the trap uh we would really appreciate it if you would give us a rating and review on itunes and a rating on spotify and with that we thank you for listening to dads from the crypt Follow Dads from the Crypt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or I will follow you to the grave. (laughs) No, seriously, you really should watch, but be careful what you ask for. You may get it. Do 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 do.